0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. Handcrafted, expert approved, with over 20 international blind tasting awards. 818 tequila imported by 818 spirits Manhasset, new york 40% alcohol by volume drink responsibly
3: So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll lord knows that country music's gonna save your
4: soul though the blues is groovin' every the and blues that sin It's gonna get you son in the air. Welcome back to the speakeasy I'm Damon Bolti
1: I'm Souther Teague.
4: And I'm
3: Greg Benson. That's yeah, a team. We gotta yeah, get paid.
4: Yeah, we gotta get paid. We yeah, gotta, we get, paid. gotta <laughs> get paid, man. Um, so, so big news in the in the drinks world over the weekend.
1: Do uh, you want to tell us about it, Souther? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Uh, the Bud Light lime Arita apparently does not contain hard alcohol. <laughs> I don't think any of us <laughs> thought it did. I don't think any of us thought it did, but I think that the public did because it didn't. It wasn't clear enough on the labels that it didn't contain hard alcohol. That it was just a malt beverage. Um, I'm curious if this will bleed over, and we'll see. Uh, I don't know. Truly, or those guys get uh, so. The long and short of it is a civil lawsuit has been filed and and won. Uh, anyone who has had. Uh, Bud Light my Marita is entitled to a check from Anheuser-Busch for up to 20 something dollars if you have proof of purchase. If you have no proof of purchase, uh, you can still fill out a form and get a check for a little over $9. Um, frankly, I'm going to consider it a buyback from Anheuser-Busch. I'm getting that check. What do you What do you think, guys? I, <laughs> I think you said
4: uh, in the in text thread, you said that you were going to frame it and put it in Amore, Amore Margo, right? Or Yeah, yeah.
1: I th- <laughs> something like that.
4: I think it would be <laughs> like a really good home bar type, uh, you know, like,
1: memorabilia like just, yeah
4: till this yeah, like this moment time in history back
1: in 2022 when I got a check from anheuser Bush. <laughs> I
4: just want to think about like like I can't help but think about like all the the kind of like placebo effects that happen when partying that were unjustified you know like <laughs> it's like sure, you,
1: how many how many margaritas have you had oh man you must be wasted uh, yeah three exactly three like, I'm so
4: wasted <laughs> it's like it doesn't have any alcohol in. Oh, I okay. mean,
1: to be sure, I really consider this to be a frivolous lawsuit. Like, no one in their sort of adult right mind should have thought for one second that a thing that says Bud Light Limerita has any tequila in it, right? Um, but the the claims that they made were that they wouldn't have paid as much, which shocks me, right? They they think that it's overpriced if it doesn't have uh, if it doesn't have tequila in it.
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it's. it's <laughs> I, I've lost a lot of faith and trust in humanity over, you know, all these years of living, but, um, but this one's just pretty, this is like some like Darwin award level, you know, behavior.
1: Oh, sure. Like the tide pods are the more recent one, the sleepy chicken. Have you heard about this?
3: No. What is the, what is Come this? On. What is this crazy, scary new thing uh, the kids are doing to frighten us
4: other?
1: What is the, the sleepy chicken? On, it sounds the dirty. Kid, the kids on TikTok are cooking chicken breasts in NyQuil. Oh <laughs> <What>? my God. <laughs> I love the pregnant paws there. No, there's chicken and NyQuil. It comes out deeply, disturbingly purple, green. I don't know. I'm colorblind, but, um, and then, uh, uh you know, no one's uh, surely, I hope anyway, no one that's making these videos is actually eating this stuff, but people then are going and making it on their own and eating this stuff. And the FDA has had to step forward and say something about it. Just like they did with the tide pods. Um, yeah, yeah. Isn't sleepy great. chicken just a turkey? <laughs> And i don't know i'm old note, school man yeah on that note damon wins the day <laughs> um so yeah we, we've gone through the bud light Marita controversy and we somehow jumped ship into sleepy chicken um but honestly greg i feel like we should get the show on the road
3: yes stay stay <laughs> tuned for the public service announcement from nyquil to not do this
4: anything to get us to stop talking about this bullshit um I's <laughs> but totally welcome yeah. yeah but in the meantime um, joining us in the studio
3: today, we have, uh, really excited about this one, the co-author of Black Mixolence, A Comprehensive Guide to Black miso- black Mixology, uh, Tamika Hall, Tamika, how are you doing?
5: Hey, guys. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Listening awesome. to this rita story and thinking about <laughs> all the people who drank like six and were stumbling all over it, that's pretty funny. Yeah, get, yeah. get, get,
3: get your check.
1: We worth. deserve recompense. Yes. All of us. It. It's it's open to anyone without proof of purchase, which is my favorite part. I I don't I don't I've certainly never had one of these nor have I ever bought one, so I don't have proof of purchase, but I'm getting yeah, that check.
4: It's also like you save the receipts like you're gonna like <laughs> what expense account are you like what do you have to, to where you're saving Bud Light? <laughs> Yeah. Listen right. to your
3: CPA guys, save your Limerita receipts.
4: Yeah, this just goes to show you could have made twenty two dollars and thirty seven cents.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I would be embarrassed to hold on to receipts like that. Anyway. Anyhow. Yeah, Tamika, so uh, um, you just had an event right here in New York City. When did the book actually drop? I know that on Monday night you were at Porch Light with our uh, last week's guest, which was Samantha uh, Reiner, who's the GM over there. I'm sure you got to hang out with her on Monday. Um, when did the book drop?
5: So the book finally dropped on July 26th. It had two date changes, which were super harrowing, because we were trying to plan events and do things around mm-hmm. that, and then it kept getting moved and changed. Long story short, it dropped at the most perfect time. It was great. the Tuesday at Tales. So I was actually in New Orleans for pub day at my first Tales of the Cocktail. And needless to say, it was a memory. Well, or, or lack thereof. But <laughs> it was mm-hmm. a really great way to bring in the, this type of book and be around mixologists and people who really understand the industry and could really appreciate the book.
1: Now, you say it was your first Tales of the Cocktail. the, the... Tell us a little bit about your history, so we can understand that. That sounds to me like you're not necessarily in the cocktail world until now.
5: So early on, I did. Um, I was. I did some freelance writing first, and I worked for bigger brands. I wrote spirited. I wrote spirit content. I wrote branded spirit content. I did a few like drink reviews and that type of stuff, and then I rolled into corporate marketing, which is a little different than freelance because you kind of have to do what the big brands tell you. So, um, yeah, I kind of ventured into it that way. I did restaurant reviews, food reviews, drink reviews, favorite spirits. I went to events. I covered events. One most memorably was an Okuto launch that happened in Miami through Budweiser like in 20, I want to say 14, where they had this big giant three-day thing where they had a tequila-infused beer. I don't know if you remember that. (laughs) How but, to give an article. But yeah, it was that, and it was you know. So I've done a lot of stuff like that. Um, more closely, I've created online content for a hospitality course with NYU and my old company. But I've always kind of had my hands in writing about food and drink related items, just not specifically cocktails. So um, we decided to do the book. Um, It was really based on cocktails, and then we kind of sprawled into history, and here you have Black Mixelance.
1: Yeah, talk about the book a little bit, like sort of break it down for me, like what you just said, really, like what percentage of it is just sheerly cocktail, and what percentage is history, and how did you go about sort of digging up that information and compiling it into this book?
5: So we have 20 featured mixologists that each contributed one to three recipes, and then Colin contributed his talented um, cocktails and recipes to fill in the rest. And then um, I decided that it would be good to give it some historical content just to give it some content. Um, So I touched on things like Bertie Brown, Uncle Nearest, which people already were hearing about. It was really just a testament to what people were hearing. Some of the first Black mixologists in the industry and most importantly, how black mixologists were already performing a service industry. Like we were mandated doing this service years and years and years ago, and it wasn't called mixology, but a lot of us used it to create a lifestyle, to buy our freedom. And we're still making strides in the industry today. So just trying to shed light on that. So it's a little ode to history and a nod to the present and trailblazers that are coming up in the industry now.
3: That's super interesting that you mentioned that the 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 fact that it wasn't called mixology because I've always sort of had a really fraught relationship with that word because to me I don't know there's something that's kind of icky and classist about it, right? Like you know, it's like, "Oh no, no, I'm not a bartender, I'm a mixologist." And it puts you in this sort of like rarefied company that a lot of people, a lot of, you know, not white, not male people don't have a much harder time, you know. Getting acceptance in that field and getting you know the the accolades of like oh yes this person is doing a serious craft so was that sort of on your mind I mean the word uh, mixology is in the the title is that was that something that was sort of on your mind as you were working on this book?
5: So the funny thing is as I interviewed some of the featured mixologists a lot of them wanted to be some wanted to be called bartenders others preferred mixologists and so. It was interesting to see the commentary around why I preferred mixologist or why I preferred bartender. Bartender to a lot of um people held a more traditional I guess feel to the job, so it meant that they were really knowledgeable in their mixes and spirits and they knew their information versus mixologists were kind of deemed as like the kind of bartenders that blow bubbles and cocktails and don't really know how to mix drinks and everything is weird colors with glitter and (laughs) flowered ice cubes kind of thing. So people didn't want to be associated with that. But I see Mm. how the two... It really is, I guess, how you see yourself in the industry. And so, yeah, it was interesting that the two names and I'd be like, "So you're a mixologist?" "No, I'm a bartender." I'd be like, "Okay." So I'd be like, "So you're a bartender?" "No, I'm a mixologist." And I was like, right. "Okay." So I would just open and say, "What is your preference? Like, do you call yourself a mixologist or a bartender?" And let them kind of lead that conversation and then I can hear why and then that gives deeper insight into how they too view themselves in the industry.
4: Southern, Greg, what do you what do you call yourself?
1: I mean, that's exactly how I got my moniker. I was interviewed a um, uh, it feels like a million years ago by a uh, Metro mix, which was an online magazine that doesn't exist anymore. And they said, so you're the head. The opening of the interview was you're the head mixologist at right. Rye- restaurant? And I said, no, I'm the CD creative drunk. And then that's, that's how I <laughs> created my monitor. Um, you know, I drink a lot and I like to create things. And so I just cram those two things together. But I, I certainly feel that I fall into the bartender category. I tend the bar, I serve people, not drinks. You know, I, I, I'm here for the people. If it weren't for the people being here, there's, there's nothing for me to do.
3: Yeah. And I, I think it's like also, that. yeah. I, I mean, I, now I call myself a daywalker. Like I think it would be, it would be disingenuous of me to say that, that <laughs> I'm still a bartender. Cause I, you know, I'm still taking those two weeks off in March of 2020 to flatten the curve, but I, I only ever referred to myself as a mixologist <laughs> one time. And it was when I was in the emergency room after falling off my bike and breaking my wrist. And they give you that little box on the intake form for occupation. And I'm like, I need one short <laughs> snappy word to let these people know how important it is that I get my hand back as fast and as functionally mm. as possible. So I wrote down <laughs> mixologist and right on cue, the person doing the intake when she took my form was like, oh, you're a mixologist. Cool. And then she looked at me and just went,
1: ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. but, a lot of PT there. <laughs>
3: uh, but, but you know, I I don't, as I just said, I don't really like the, the sort of, the way that calling yourself a mixologist can kind of put you up on a pedestal and I never liked it, but now that I've done some more research and talked to um, Nicola Nice, who's been on the show a couple of times, who's incredible um, and learned about how, constantly throughout history things that were manual labor and were unglamorous work as soon as they became cool they would be given a different name and taken over by white dudes who suddenly got all of the you know the applause and the praise and the accolades for it and you know it's like oh no no it's not it's not uh being a midwife it's being a doula or whatever please excuse me if anyone listening to this is a midwife slash doula I'm not really sure where the differentiation there is but you sort of get my point it's the same as being a Uh bartender versus being a mixologist so that's kind of where I come Yes,
1: or the dishwasher versus the underwater ceramics technician (laughs) right (laughs) which which exists that's out there Damon where do you fall on this uh on this which side of the fence do you fall
4: well I mean I'm kind of with you like as far as like I, I don't I don't tend bar anymore. I still own a bar, but, um, and I work in the spirits industry, but, and I teach about cocktails, but I still say um, I'm just a bar person. I don't tend bar. I'm, I'm I'm a barman or a bar, bartender or whatever you want to call it. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, like, I don't know. I kind of like, I, I lean towards yours, like your side of it, where it's like, you know, I serve people, I don't serve drinks. It's like, I would say that a bar is only as good as the people who are in it. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that's kind of where I land with that. And it sounds really pretentious when you say mixologist. (laughs) But I think it's also a generational thing, too. I do, too, yeah. And I'm older than everyone here, so.
1: (laughs) Except except, me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, let's get back to Tamika and yeah. the book. Um, Tamika, can you give us a couple of? I don't want, don't want you to give the whole book away because we need people to go out there and buy it. But uh, can you give us some examples of the figures that you got to like sort of uh, um, shine a light on, um, both past and present? I understand that the the recipes in the book were contributed by people who are alive, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but there's plenty of history in there. Some people that are that are past. So can you talk about like what made you choose the ones that you chose, and uh, from from both aspects, both the past and current day.
5: Um, so I am digging and trying to find, um, mixologists of present day. It was sort of like I went to a black restaurant week. They were doing like a Maker's Mark competition, and that was the first time I'd ever seen so many black sol- black mixologists in a competition. Normally, when I had done other work, it was
1: where, where, a dime where was a that doesn't.
5: So it was virtual because I want to say it was during the pandemic. So a lot of it was like on their Instagram feed, but it was just so many pictures of different mixologists. So now I start doing some digging, getting some homework. We did have a PR list and some people like a list from PR of things we could contact, but I kind of went with some of the mixologists that were actually doing things. So for example, Tiffany Barrier is featured in the book. um, Vance Henderson, Glendon Hartley, Camille Wilson, who's the cocktail snob. It's a lot of people who right now um, are kind of moving and shaking in the industry. And then, of course, Colin, who has his footprint solidly planted in the industry right now, doing a lot of different things, has been doing a lot of different things. And he really brought um, his cocktail expertise to the book because I only drink the cocktails. I don't mix them. But now that I have the book, I can mix them. FYI.
1: Cool. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good, but it's not the fun part. The fun part's just the drinking.
5: <laughs> right, right. Like w- when I said I was always on the other side of the bar, I had no idea that bartenders, mixologists had so many stories and so many ways as to how they navigated through the industry. It was really intriguing to me, like legit.
1: Well, you have yeah. to understand that generally and i'm going to emphasize the word generally generally when attending the bar we are facing a room full of people who are, we are actively inebriating and yet we are not inebriated so we are the the storytellers and the history keepers because we're the <laughs> ones who are we're the ones who are looking at the whole room through a sober eye
5: that's that you're probably not probably you're absolutely right i can see i've been on that side of history many times um
4: Speak for yourself, Teague. I'm always wasted behind the bar. <laughs>
1: I said generally, <laughs> emphasis yeah. on generally. Yeah, but then generally. going back
5: and going back into history, there's Bertie Brown, who was a black woman who was making moonshine. There's Tom Bullock. There's quite a few people that people are kind of talking about, not talking about enough, and maybe just need to know a little more. And while we didn't include all of history, it's really just a little. Kind of tip of the iceberg, and it, it encourages people to just learn more on their own.
3: Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to talk a little bit about because you know I'm I'm a history geek and I love this stuff, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about what it was like, sort of tracking these people down. You know, I mean, was it sort of this this you know because generally history is written by white guys and features a lot of white guys, so it's very very hard to sort of find the stories and the legends about these people or was it like they were just lying there, you know, waiting for, for someone to come along and, and write this book that they just sort of been, we had the stories and it had sort of been glossed over a little bit.
5: Well, you can you had to do digging because the first thing I noticed is that there were a lot of similar stories, but the narrative was different, if that makes sense. So it was really tracking down the most consistent version of the story and then fact checking it before that. So there was a lot of that happening. There was also um, not enough information, and a lot of that comes from us not being able to read or write or document actual things. So, just trying to get the most accurate version of the story, and then fact-checking it to make sure that's the most accurate version of the story, and going with that.
4: It's, it. Seems to be the uh, the general way we like. You know, like for I feel like for a long time, a lot of people didn't realize that Tom Bullock was. Uh, person of color uh when, mm-hmm. when the book came out you know it like but i feel like these days we have so much so much great i mean it's a lot of internet work but uh you know it's like we're we're able to dig back through history it's like we keep finding older and older history of cocktail and spirits information and it's just kind of crazy like like almost every year it's like oh wait i thought the cocktail was invented in 1806 now it's 1795 now wait what yeah. There's an earlier you know so it's like And that's exactly the same here. Um, And I love the fact that, as you mentioned, like I teach a lot of classes on cocktail history and mainly these days on the subject of of brandy. And the thing is it keeps going further back, but then at the same time it's moving forward. So I love that you've featured a lot of this history, but as you'd mentioned, like people like Camille and Vance and Miss Frankie who are featured in this book, you know, it's like not just looking at the, past but like taking it into the future and kind of shining a light on all of it together it's really cool right i've got a digital copy a few months ago and i've been like scrolling through it and it's a great book i mean god there's so much information in here that just hasn't hasn't come to light ever in another cocktail book or book on the subject of alcohol in general
5: oh thank you i think my favorite was actually tracking rum yeah. And seeing, and seeing the history of rum, where it came from, the fact that slaves were probably harvesting a lot of the products or even refining the process to how rum was even made. So that was all just super intriguing to me and how our involvement in a lot of these things, you would never hear. It. Like, I never heard of it, any of it.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at that page right now The Dark and Stormy History of Caribbean Rum. Mm hmm. Oh, man. So, yeah.
5: For a lot of us who grew up in, in Caribbean and Latino homes, like rum was uh, is a staple. So knowing where it came from, how it came to be so important is kind of mind-blowing.
4: Yeah. Well, this is cool. I mean, like, guys, did you get a copy of this book yet?
1: I did not, uh, unless it's in my email somewhere that I haven't seen. Um, I, I think I, you guys, I had intended you know to what? go on Monday and pick up a copy uh, and see your face. Um, oh, course, right, like, right, but, right. Our yeah, porch like But I couldn't make it... Um, had to deal with uh, the right. stupid flooding in my uh, my living room, um, but uh, well, let's take a...
5: if you guys if you guys can get me a shipping address, I'll make sure that you all have physical copies of the book.
1: Oh, that would be fantastic. No, keep... um, <laughs> But let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come right back and keep talking to Tamika about Black Excellence. Uh, stay with us.
2: 818 Tequila creates their tequila using traditional methods at a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. 818 is created from fully matured blue agave from the Los Altos and Valles regions of tequila. It is then slow-cooked for over 30 hours, extracted using traditional tejona wheels, distilled twice in copper pot stills, and aged in American and French oak barrels. Their tequilas have received over 25 blind tasting awards. They strive for excellence in every sip. 818's Blanco is sweet and smooth, with undertones of tropical and citrus fruits. Their reposado is soft and balanced, with notes of caramel and vanilla. And their añejo is elegant and velvety, with crisp herbal notes and a warm vanilla finish. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their tequila and find it near you. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly.
3: And we are back. You were listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're talking with Tamika Hall, who is the co-author of Black Mixelence. And we were talking a little bit about kind of the research process and the history in general, Tamika, that you were going through to write this book beforehand. But I'm super curious because, uh, you know, I I haven't gotten my copy yet and I'm, you know, really excited about it. Um, Are there any stories that you found as you were researching this, either from the past or from the present day? that you were like oh man like this is really amazing i didn't know this and i were just totally blown away by
5: so i think for me um the most the the story that kind of had me like oh shit the most was the story of birdie brown and how she used to make um moonshine during the Pro- during prohibition and how she had her bed and breakfast and she- people were coming from all over the country to a get some illegal alcohol, but B also just partake in her bed and breakfast homestead. So in true black woman fashion, she was multitasking, doing a lot of things. And that's kind of how she died. I don't want to say how it happened, but she died multitasking, trying to do many different things, including make her final batch of moonshine.
3: I think I might see where (laughs) this story is going. (laughs) I have a feeling. Um, I mean that's that's a, <laughs> a heck of a story, and I'm excited to read about it.
1: Um, right, but any- a but a woman who has established business that people are traveling to and is doing this illicit thing uh, to you know kind of move the needle forward in the in the spirits world. That's that's a pretty incredible story, just right there on its face.
5: Right, and it, it's like you have to think a lot of the people who were involved in spirits or anything were men, mostly men. Mm-hmm. So to have a woman that was doing such a thing and people were actually traveling to see her and get her product, I think that's pretty badass. So,
1: Wait, where think, was where geographically was her her, her Ben breakfast?
5: Uh, I want to say Montana. She had a homestead in Montana. I think it's specifically Fergus County.
1: I mean, even that part seems, I would not have guessed just based on all that. I, I was thinking like, you know, somewhere in Appalachia or what have you. Yeah. So out in Montana during Prohibition, a, a woman of color, uh, a woman of color, like two 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 hurdles to overcome, mm-hmm. uh, has a business that, that encourages people to travel all the way to see her. That's pretty incredible. Yep.
5: Yeah. That's pretty cool. So I don't know if you know, there is a brand, um, Birdie Brown Plain Hooch, that is sold now and. The story is that it's created based off of what her recipe was. Not sure if that's all the way true, but that's the story of the brand.
1: Uh, yeah, wow, never even heard of it. I'll definitely have to look it up and, and look into it myself. So that, I love that, right? I love when I'm uh, reading a book and then I'm compelled to go and take an action in you know outside the covers of the book. So I'll I'll check it out
5: ha, black excellence at work. See, that's how it's supposed to work. And that's exactly. (laughs) Black excellence at work. That's exactly, Uh, that's exactly the vibe that I want people to get. Like read the story. Maybe you didn't know something, but now it's going to prompt you to take a next step and either look for the brand or try to make the cocktail or dig more into the story or all those are, those are CTAs that, um, unknown or unsaid CTAs that was really a focus when writing the book.
1: Yeah, outstanding. Um, so that's a great example of someone from history. Um, do you have uh, an example you'd like to share with us with someone who's uh, maybe still alive and and kicking and in the book that you featured and shine some light on to to uh. bring that person up? I mean, oh I think gosh. we should
4: talk about Colin because he couldn't make the show today. You know, like uh, he there's... couldn't
1: make it, so he's out of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: yeah, I mean, Jess. Jess. <laughs> to me, Ken Colin's Ball, like, bro. yeah, <laughs> he didn't get he didn't get involved. Um, y'all but, let,
5: are gonna get y'all gonna get me in trouble. no i mean like to me like
4: colin is the first he was the first brand ambassador i ever met just like oh not not doesn't matter color specific or gender he was the very first brand ambassador i ever met when -hmm. he was working with a luxury vodka brand back in the day and he was really like boots on the ground like moving the needle on that and then he ended up with cardi and like just kind of blew up from there you know but like he, it was so inspirational to me and like it, like it, he's the reason why i became a brand ambassador because i was just like this is like the coolest dude i've ever met in my life and he's got the coolest job and he loves what he does and like i was like i want to do that <laughs> but also right. just as a mixologist like a modern mixologist this dude has like he's gotten like <laughs> so many of the names that i wanted to use for cocktails this guy's already <laughs> you got you got there before me like um i know that in like the the in like the intro or the forward i think of the book it talks about um the first uh kind of uh notice of alcohol was uh, communion wine right and then and that that's exactly the same for me but uh there's a cocktail called King James, like as in the King James version of the Bible. So I was just like, God, I always thought that'd be such a cool, cool name for a cocktail. But then also there's uh, another cocktail called the Autobahn. Great name for a cocktail. But mm-hmm. then probably one of the coolest names for a cocktail is the Kaleidoscope. And it's also, I don't know if you've, if either of you've had this cocktail, but it's basically like an avocado laced uh, blended pina colada, which is it's just brilliant. Yeah. And, and it has a cool name the kaleidoscope yeah. and so like you know it's just like these kinds of things i'm like i'm just like kind of mad at him but like it's i'm happy that it's it was him you know that like <laughs> um
1: plus, but there, plus he's super charming and charismatic and i don't it, know no i
4: mean i'm i'm mad in a in a loving way um, yeah. i'm <laughs> obviously not actually mad at him but there's also like other i mean to me he's one of the like premier mixologists of our time he uh-huh. just has been, you know, but there's like we mentioned before, there's so many other great drinks and great mixologists and bartenders mentioned in this book. I mean, there's, um, God, there was one cocktail that I'm trying to remember which one it was. I don't want to waste our time being trying to remember, but I was just like this, uh, no, it's the buzzword. Um, I can't remember who.
5: So, we actually, we served the buzzword at Porchlight Bar the other day. Oh, and cool. buzzword was contributed by Vance Henderson. Yeah. Love Vance. Great Vance is the best. Uh-huh. And... and that,
4: to me, that's like, th- it's in the name. It should be like one of those viral cocktails, like a paper plane or a penicillin or a Oaxacan old-fashioned, you know? It's like, it's just set up to be buzzworthy, you know? Like, I think so, anyway.
5: So, it's actually um, a marriage between two cocktails, but... I don't want to tell that part of the story yet, but yeah, buzzword is marriage between bees knees and last word. So if they had a baby, it would be a buzzword.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Oh,
5: uh- I just
3: got
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Damn it. That's, 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 pretty, that's pretty great. Portmanteau, that's pretty great. Um, well, since we are talking about Colin a little bit in, in his absence, we can probably poke one at him if we want. Um, how in, how did the two of you connect and and get this project off the ground?
5: So I came with the content part, but I we needed, I needed a co-author who knew about recipes because I'm just a... This is a mimosa. I'm just going to pour champagne with a dab of orange juice. That's how I make a cocktail. I don't know anything about <laughs> proportion or ingredients or how much. I do know about brands and spirits and flavors, but for me to... Even look at a recipe and know if it's correct or if this is good or whatever. I have no idea. So Colin's expertise was super important to this book because he really refined and perfected all of the cocktails that were submitted and the ones that he gave. They're really a testament to his talent. So if it wasn't for him, the cocktails would be definitely would definitely be trash. Um, <laughs> so, so he was your, he was
1: your technical advisor basically. <laughs> yes,
5: hundred percent, hundred percent. And he was able to tell from a like real world perspective, the movement of the mixology industry, how the industry has changed because he's been in it for so long. So he Mm -hmm. was able to provide that um, aspect as well from a real life POV.
1: Yeah. I, I often talk about how um, maybe not my favorite uh, or best drink experience ever, but my best drinking experience ever was with Colin. Uh, We went to Duke's and had a martini together and it was, I think of it all the time. What a great time I had. Just hanging out with him and having uh, Palazzi make us a Duke's Martini. It was incredible. He's such a charming and and affecting character to be around. So
5: yes, he definitely brings the energy into the room. At all, it doesn't matter what the room is like before he came in. He's definitely going to brighten it, and it's going to leave when he leaves. That energy remains.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. I'm sure sure he uh, imbued some of that energy into the book. And again, I can't wait to get a copy and drill through it. Uh, I'll dig through my emails and see if I got a digital copy in there somewhere that I didn't realize that I had. But I'm very excited to read the book. Sorry I couldn't see you on Monday night. Um, But we're wishing you all the success uh, with this book. Um, Any upcoming dates that you have that you want to maybe promote that you're going to be promoting the book?
5: Um, I know we have some things coming down the pike, but I don't want to speak in them yet because they're not confirmed. So once they are confirmed and set in stone, I will definitely shoot you guys an email, and you can share maybe on a at a later time, later show. Sure. But we would definitely love to have you. We'll make sure that you get the invites too, since we missed we missed you at Porchlight, so we can hang out, have a drink, get involved, all the things.
1: Get involved. Get involved. Uh, Love it. Um, and we will um put in the show notes uh links to purchase the book. Uh, and uh, and and we hope we hope the sales go through the roof and then hopefully that can be a follow up book.
5: Yes, Ho- yes, hopefully a part two to all of this.
1: I mean, that's always the goal, especially with a book about history. There's more. There's always more history.
5: Of and course, keep, of course, keep, of keep course. Go,
1: keep going back, you know. <laughs>
5: yep. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I know that you're pressed for time, and we just want to thank you for taking the time out today to be with us here on the show and talk about the book. And it's it's an awesome book. I've been able to. Look through it a little bit and uh, it's just, it's like, it's great to see the history, but it's also great to see so many friends with their uh-huh. recipes here in the book. And it's just like, i just makes me, makes me miss everybody. <laughs> and like, Aww. you know, and uh, yeah, so I, I can't wait to, uh, can't wait to see you and Colin and the rest of everyone else who's in this book uh, and hopefully have a drink with them. Have the buzzword. I mean, damn it, that's so good.
1: (laughs) Come on, come on, Vance.
4: I love, I love punny names. And Jesus, I was right.
5: Isn't Uh, that isn't that super cool? Yeah,
4: so perfect. Uh, Mm -hmm. And last time I saw Vance was like at Camp Runamuck, maybe four years ago. So we're way overdue. Um, But yeah, I feel like I'm overdue for a drink with everyone.
5: I have to remember uh, that. I really, my goal is to have like a Black Mixer meetup where the mixologists are there, their drinks are featured, the bar has all the ingredients to make all of their drinks, and we can just kind of go with it. Because some of them I haven't even met in person. I met a few at Tales, a few in New York, but I haven't met everyone in person yet because we did this during the pandemic, so.
4: Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, But, well, I mean, it's cool that this is all documented, at least, you know, like, so then you have a real extra reason to meet up with them and have a drink with them. Um, well, cool. That's it for the speakeasy this week. I want to thank you again, Tamika. And sorry, Colin, that you weren't on the show. But we'll catch up soon. And everyone check out Black Mix It's an awesome book. And it's out on, uh, what is it, Kingston Imperial? is the
5: Yes, Kingston Imperial is the publisher yeah. distributed yeah. by Penguin Random House.
4: Cool. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, everyone. Uh, it's great talking with you. And uh, get those checks from Budweiser Lima Rita. Sure um <laughs> and you can, get, next- you can get
5: your Lima check and put it towards your Black Mixelins book. Exactly. That's right. It's a rebate. <laughs> it's a
1: rebate system.
4: <laughs> I love that. Oh my god. I'll help you forge a uh, a receipt if you need to to, to pay for extra. <laughs> <laughs> All right, until next week. That's it for the speakeasy. Check out more programs on Heritage Radio Network, and we'll see you then. Cheers. Cheers,
5: Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. So you don't shun the devil
1: with your rock. The speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.